Hello, hello, hello. My name is Adam Jabber, and this is the Advance Podcast. And today we have my friend and yours, Alex Hackle, on the podcast. Alex and I talk about everything from the new Bunch film to what his career has been like up to this point, um, as well as speaking at Snowbound Expo in the coming weeks. I'm super excited to watch him uh, talk on stage there. It's going to be great. Um, before we get into the show, a couple things. Gear Guide will be available uh, to ship very soon. It is available for pre-order on outofpodcast.com, outofcollective.com, getthecollective.com, wherever you want. So go get that thing now. We try to do a very different gear guide than everybody else, and it's, uh, I will say, it's very different. we got some great writing in there, and I'm excited for people to get their hands on it. Also, I'd like to take a second to thank... Our sponsor for this episode of the show, Mammut. Mammut makes the best safety gear for your backcountry experience, whether it is a new shovel, a new probe, or obviously the Barryvox S or Barryvox transceiver. Mammut has your safety in mind at all times. It's the gold standard when it comes to backcountry safety equipment. So go and get yourself a new beacon, a new shovel, a new probe, or a whole kit at mammut.com. Also, quick shout out to our friends at Fisher Skis. If you are looking for a brand new set of touring skis, as you will see in the gear guide, there is one particular touring ski that I think is the best touring ski that is out on the market right now. And it happens to come from Fisher. Yes, I am biased, but plenty of my friends that even ski for other brands have said that this is what a touring ski should be like. So check out the new Transalp 105 CTI at fishersports.com today. Without further ado, Alex Hackle. Mr. Hackle, how are you? I'm doing good. Why don't we start, tell people who you are, a little bit about yourself, and then we can take it from there. Sounds good. Uh, my name is Alex Hackle. I'm a 27-year-old professional skier. I uh, do all types of skiing, from street skiing, park skiing, backcountry skiing. I um, also have produced and directed some ski movies. Sick. I'm a co-owner in the brand 1000 Skis, and uh, I'm from Boston, Massachusetts, or the suburbs of Boston, Massachusetts. Awesome. Um, what's going on with 1000 Skis? How's it been? Talk to me a little bit about what the last couple years have been like i mean it's a new brand and like i think making a new ski brand in the year that you started was it's difficult it's difficult now it was difficult five years ago what what's the process been like for you i think it's gone like pretty smooth it's hard to say because well i have no th- nothing to reference it to yeah, yeah yeah so i kind of feel like there's never like a good time to start anything and that i actually felt like there was like some things that like aligned like perfectly for us to start it then so i kind of feel like maybe the economy hasn't been like growing in those years, but yeah. that like from like uh, where I was in my life and where the other people who started it were in their life that it worked out pretty good. Yeah. What's the, what was the idea with the brand? Like what kind of skis were you trying to make? I, I mean, when you go into something like this and create your own ski brand, like you all had independent ski deals before that. What did you want to see differently with the stuff that you were putting together as a group? I think, um, I think we wanted just, like, ownership, like, from, like, a rider perspective or, like, people who are, like, uh, more current in the industry to, like, our model is keep the culture moving. So I think that it wasn't, like, there's, like, one specific thing where, like, oh, we have to do this. But it's, like, okay, we know that we have, like, an opinion and a voice within skiing that is not represented in any, like, company ownership. Mm -hmm. And that a lot of companies, they, like, okay, they might have, like, a cool team manager who's, like, in on it. But then that guy's boss isn't in on it. And then the guy who runs the whole thing and owns the mega corporation is definitely not mm-hmm. in on what's happening. So it's more like, okay, like how do we like have that voice come from the top down yeah. and build a company that like even when our voices like stop being like the coolest thing, that yeah. we're still like free skiers from the beginning and then that we can like invest back in free skiing. Yeah. Sort of from that like taking ownership. And then like product wise, like we love swerving we love buttering (laughs) and obviously like we felt like that there was like a ski like i i love my previous ski sponsor own 3p yeah and i know the guys love their previous ski sponsors but we all felt like there was like a ski that could be better made uh to do the things that we wanted to do so that's kind of what we like went out from like 
how the ski is going to like ride and feel is basically like what what do we enjoy and what do we feel like isn't being offered out there yeah yeah and it seems like the goal is to keep things super simple for now like keep it what you want not create a million models right out of the gate and not even create a bunch of different graphics right like it's been all that all red graphic since the beginning basically and that's the plan going forward i assume that's the plan going forward okay what else do you want to see personally expanded in the line like if you if you had to pick a type of ski that you think is missing that you wanted to add to the collection do you have something in mind is there something that you hope can be available in the near future or you plan to have available in the near future so i can't speak for the whole company because i'm yeah, one just of, you one of many but just me alex hackle speaking uh, <laughs> i would love to see like a uh, more like carving ski come okay. to the lineup i think that it's like uh or i'm like a big fan of skis that I wouldn't call them directional skis, but yeah. I think that I would love to see us create like a really fun directional carving ski that can like rip the piece and then also could be like worn in the park mm-hmm. or something that maybe caters towards like, I don't want to say your dad, but a mix of like right something that somebody who's not a, like a core park skier would have. Yeah. I think that that's like interesting for myself because I want more people to be on our skis and yeah. I see us being very like freestyle oriented with our lineup. Yeah. And that people are just, like, afraid of twin tips who don't ski park. So I'd love to have, like, that ski that can hit those people. Mm-hmm. And then also those skis that, like, those unique skiers can also use, like, in the park and can create, like, some really cool. Pieces. Yeah. What do you think it is about twin tips and freestyle culture in general that, like, makes people a little afraid to get into it? Well, I think there's, like, a stigma without a doubt. And that's what draws people in. Like, yeah. that's what drew me in when I was 12 was, like, yeah. These people ski backwards, they dress a certain way, they ski fast. And, I mean, the the ski mountains like, a huge community. Yeah. And, like, if you compare how people with twin tips ski and ride and maybe their recklessness on the mountain compared with, like, your 55-year-old who's, like... Just ripping groomers. Just ripping groomers. Yeah. You look, like, kind of like the punk. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so we are kind of the punks. So I think that people, like kind of just like have built like such a stigma around that and they don't see their skiing like going in that direction yeah and so they don't want to buy a ski that would like look like they're doing something that they don't plan on doing yeah even though it has nothing like it doesn't affect the ski performance yeah yeah, yeah. very much at all what do you how do you break that kind of thing is it something that even needs to be broken so that people can feel like they can just go buy a twin tip even if they're not because there's plenty of people that i know that don't ski park that go and they buy a pair of thousands. They go buy a pair of twin tips just because they think it's cool. Right. Like, and that's what they want to be on. But there's another huge part of the market that would probably have a lot of fun on them that maybe is intimidated to jump into that. So is that, is that a thing worth breaking or is it a thing that's like, okay, if it's for you, cool. If it's not for you also cool. I think it's like a little bit both. I don't really think it needs to be broken too much. I think it can be like debunked. Cause I think that a lot of the people who, mm are like watching think that there's like uh having a twin tip will take away from their like ski performance skiing yeah. like uh regular or yeah. whatever straight yeah not <laughs> as backwards <laughs> and uh you know i think like educating people that like i think like mounting points probably have more to do with your yeah. skiing performance going forward than having twin tips and like telling people that it really doesn't matter uh if you have twin tips and that you like you can I only think of it as a benefit because you can have more possibilities. But in the grand scheme of things, I feel like that's like, it's not even worth opening that can of worms. It's more like, just like, I don't know, as companies just creating products for everyone. And then like, I also think it's like a benefit because if we come and create a ski, that's a great carving ski, but not from like the perspective of another ski company that comes from maybe racing and Mm -hmm. creates a carving ski from like a, less performance racing ski but we create like a fun carving ski that is like kind of takes inspiration from a park ski then we're gonna like get those people who like would not buy the park ski to then be on a ski that's super fun and flexible and they can also see like some of the benefits of like a softer ski that's not like uh i don't know i don't want to call out any brand specifically but you know that (laughs) typical yes yeah 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 for sure um why all red why is it all red why are we keeping it all red i mean this is kind of like a very baseline question i think but what's what is the purpose and the idea behind just keeping the graphic all the same keeping it really simple and and kind of keeping it clean i like it personally like i think it's 
very cool. And I've been saying for a long time, like I wish every ski company would just make shit black. Everybody just make every ski all black all the time because then people start picking the ski that they want based on what they want to do as opposed to just based on the graphic. But obviously that's never going to happen. But you guys have gone the direction of just making full monochrome skis and just making it like, here's your options. Here's your three different widths, your three different styles. These are, these are your choices. I think it's like you're saying, like we're standing behind a product and not necessarily like a, a trending graphic. Mm-hmm. And I think there's like a couple elements, but like another thing is also like the sustainability aspect of it, because we're not trying to like um, a lot of people, uh, maybe you guys haven't thought about it. Maybe this is super obvious to a lot of people, but like ski companies push new graphics to basically push new ski sales because the technology in the ski doesn't change from year to year, Mm -hmm. but because there's a new graphic and everyone knows that that's this year's ski, and you want to have the newest and the coolest, you buy the same ski with that graphic. So there's sort of this like sentiment behind creating something that isn't going to outdate itself. Like we're not going to create a product and then immediately outdate it one year later so that you guys buy the ski. We want you to buy the ski out of the merits that the ski is a really, really good ski. Yeah. And then also it does make it so that, um, you know, I don't know if anything does go wrong with the ski, then you're able to just like have a replacement ski yeah, or like the same thing, yeah. exactly. And the idea should just be like you replace your skis when your skis need replacing and not when like we basically outdate our own product because we've released a new line. And if you want to yeah. keep up with the cultural standards, you need to buy that new one. Yeah. Yeah. It's always a tough argument, I think, because you have one side of it where it's like, yeah, people want to be really creative with their graphics. They want like something that they feel that they're attached to very much. But I think there is this kind of cyclical nature that happens. Like you said, every year it's like you get to March, everything's on closeout and it becomes old news immediately. Like we have a short, like ski season is short. No matter, even if you're somebody that tries to ski every single day of the year, like it's a short window of time when we are in season for the mass public. And it feels like we put so much energy into marketing these new graphics, these new slightly new styles, small, small changes in things. And then we get to March and everything just, you know, just throw it away. We just move on to the next thing. And, and I don't love that, but I understand why people want a new graphic sometimes. But there's a couple companies that have done a good job of just making one color, make different shapes. And people really like you guys season like those. I like that philosophy a lot because like I said, you, you stick to what works for you and you can expand your quiver based on what you feel like. And I think it also creates a better attachment to the brand, right? It's almost like it becomes a collector's item of sorts, you know, like everybody wants to fill out their quiver of what makes sense for them. And if they already have one, the likelihood of them going and buying the Powski, if they have the park ski, is much more likely, I think. You know, I don't want to say there's any shade on, like, graphics. And, like, no, I, I don't think I, so. yeah, I yeah. love graphics. And, yeah. like, as a kid, like, I do remember, like, when you do find that ski with that graphic that's, like, yeah, the one that you really connect with, like, it's a great experience. But I also think it's just as, like, part of, like, okay, well, what do we feel like we can offer? Or, like, kind of, like, there is that model's been done before, so yeah. how can we do something different? So I don't want to, like, basically say that, like, graphics are bad or, or whatever. They definitely no, have sure. that. yeah that cyclical nature of pushing product, but also that doesn't mean that they're completely bad because they are doing good things too. But that's kind of just like, we felt like that was like what we could, a way that we could, you know, stick out and wasn't being offered very much in comparison to the other model. For sure. What favorite graphic that you remember as a kid that you liked? Like, is there some, cause there's stuff that sticks out for everybody. I think it's like the first time you see this graphic and you're like, holy shit, like this is what I want. Especially when you're like, 14, 15, 16, you're like, this is what I attach myself to. Do you have something that you remember from those days that you're like, this is what I thought? Like, for me, it was like Line Anthem, right? For so many people, I think it was that early on. You just look at it and you're like, fuck, man, like, this is this is what I want. Like, this is how I feel like I'm going to express myself in a ski is something like this graphic. Definitely. I would say, I think, like, Ninth Wards. Yeah. I, I mean, I loved Henrik and everything. Yeah, yeah. I idolized him and, like getting my first pair of ninth words was like the time where I'm like, okay, my skis match the identity that I want to portray on the mountain. Yeah. But then also there was like, before that, I think I was really attracted to like the K2 
with like the site logos. Oh like yeah, the yeah, public yeah, yeah. enemies. Yeah, I thought we were like always super nice. And I remember like as a kid, I was like, um, like bummed one time because there was like two skis, mm-hmm. but one was like too tall for me, and they were like Armada like T halls or something. And I thought they looked super super sick. And then the ones that were like in my size were like. I don't want to say name the ski, but they weren't nearly as cool. <laughs> and I remember being like bummed because like the graphic did like, yeah, uh, did were, mean like a lot. And I was bummed that I wasn't like tall enough to get the yeah. the cool graphics. But I think uh, I would say ninth from like word. a ninth word and just in general, like I do feel like when you look at skis, like whether it's between skis, like yeah, the graphic does matter. Favorite skier growing up. Uh, favorite skier growing up 100% Henrik Hubbard. Yeah. Without a doubt. I think for a lot of people your age, it's Henrik, because it was like when he kind of came on the scene, it was like it felt like the world stopped for a second and was just like, what the fuck is going on? You know? Like it, for so many people, it was a very, it was just eye-opening to like what people could do on skis, like buttering and jibbing and like just being a little more free and flowy and not really caring so much about what traditional form looked like even. And the cool thing with Henrik is like, it's still that way with 100 kids. That's like I was skiing Zermatt with like a 11 year old, and he was like, "Yeah, my favorite skier is Henrik Hubbard." Yeah. I'm like, "That was my favorite skier when I was 12, <laughs> and I'm now 27, so that's 15 years." And like yeah. everyone has the hard low snow pants, and yeah. it's like a testament. And he is like, what he's done for the sport is mind blowing, <laughs> and the fact that like that nose butter triple that he did was Dude. 10 years ago, <laughs> and it's just like. I don't know. I think it's just, it's a testament that he's several generations favorite skier, like, yeah. and that he deserves all of that because he's done so much and he's been so relevant through so many changes in the sport. Yeah. And it shows, yeah, it shows you the impact that he made like right away and how far ahead of everything else he was at that point. Right. Cause he's still as relevant as ever right now. It's yeah, it's incredible. Um, let me ask you this. Last time I saw you was at Kings and Queens, your first Kings and Queens. What was the experience like? Why did you decide to do it? Let's t- kind of talk through it a little bit. So they invited uh, Magnus to do it. Mm-hmm. And Magnus was uh, in Europe and he's like, I'm not going to fly out for this. Yeah. And he just like, without telling me, just told the event organizers, <laughs> hey, I can't come. <laughs> but I know my, my friend Alex, he's a great skater and he, I think he can come. So then they extended the invite to me, and I just got the invite in my email. And I was like, whoa. Because I didn't, I didn't really think it, it wasn't like a competition that I grew up dreaming about doing. Yeah, or right, it wasn't even right. in the same lane as most of the For skiing sure. I did in my whole ski career. And then I kind of like thought about it, and I looked at the invite, and it was like, oh, well, seven days all-inclusive to Jackson Hole Resort. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then I was like, you know what? Like, I've never been to Jackson. This just, I don't know, it just felt like yeah, uh, it would just be something – that would be good for me to do and that I would enjoy doing. And at the very least, it would just give me a new experience. So then I said yes without knowing anything about the competition. whatsoever. I, I, and I think I told you this last year, like when I was up there, like looking at everybody, you watch the way that people are reacting to how scary it is and like what they're about to do and their, their mood. It didn't seem to me like you, it it's not that you didn't care. It's just that you were unbothered, it felt like, by the event itself. At least this is what you were putting out into the world it did not seem like you were that worried about it It did not seem like you were that nervous you were just relaxed what is that actually the case or okay (laughs) not at all I was super nervous like I remember there was like um like controversy about like not controversy but when the start when the start was and I remember sitting in the car and we were about to do the athlete meeting yeah and I was just like I pray it's not tomorrow. Like, yeah. I really pray it's not tomorrow. I'm not mentally prepared <laughs> yeah. to jump into this. I don't think anyone Jump wants. into this, like, couar uh, right now. And yeah. I think what a lot of people don't know, too, is, like, it can be a great snow year. Yeah. But the wind can take snow out of that couar. So yeah. it didn't even matter in many ways that last year was, like, the best snow year ever in a lot of these West Coast mountains. Because yeah. uh, if the wind blows the wrong direction... Yeah. There can be a lot of snow on that mountain, just not in that couloir. <laughs> so I was like, when I accepted the invite, I'm like, oh, it's going to be so deep in there. Yeah. And, and I had no idea how any of the mountain and the wind directions would affect it. And then when I showed up there, I'm like, ooh, okay. Like, it's not as bad as last year. So, yeah. like, if you go from that, it's like, whew. but it also wasn't like, 
knee deep, waist deep, like yeah. do anything, not gonna hurt yourself. And yeah. I remember it was definitely like bigger and flatter. Like yeah. when you look at it from film, I was like, oh, it's not the drop doesn't look that big. Yeah. And then like the landing looks really steep, so it'll match up well. Yeah. And then I show up and I'm like, the drop is a lot bigger than I thought. <laughs> and this landing looks a lot flatter than I thought, which is like the worst of the two combinations. Yeah. But I think that at the end of the day, you just buy the ticket and take the ride. And that when you sign up for the event, you know, you're going to jump into it. And yeah. that there's only so much like you can do. And also like the way that the wind even just and the snow that came the day before the event affected it. I felt like I the first day, the inspection day, I looked at it from the top and I was like, I don't, I don't see a piece of landing I like here. Yeah. I don't see any real estate. And then, like, when I went up the day of the the competition, I just, like, saw that there was, like, this little, like, pocket, right, where, like, I'm spinning left, so I'm going to drift a little bit left. And I just, like, saw, like, okay, like, I actually think this lines up. So it was, like, a great feeling because it wasn't – it would have been worse if it was the opposite, where all the inspection days I kind of see the landing that I like, and then the day of – the snow's not there where it was, yeah. but it was the opposite. So I got like that extra boost of just like, okay, well, today feels best of all the days I've came up top and looked at it. Yeah. Yeah. And for a lot of people too, it was very unsure in the beginning, even, even when everybody was lined up, right? The first couple hours, they were like, all right, we might not go. Yeah. Like this might not actually go off. So it's like, it's a very weird event because you're all standing up there. You're all ready to go sort of, but they're kind of telling you, maybe we won't go. Maybe we will go. You just found out yesterday you are going the next day. Half the people are upset about it. Half the people are like, ah, like it'll be okay, but we just have to deal with it. It's it's a very nerve-wracking environment. So, like, when I saw you up there, I was like, he doesn't even seem like he's bothered by this. I would say it helped because I had a career in slopestyle skiing, and yeah. I was on the World Cup circuit. Yeah. And, like, there's so much drama in, like, World Cup skiing, even if it doesn't look like it. And I've been there before yeah. where people are like, okay, like, raise your hand if you think the competition should happen. Raise the hand if the competition shouldn't happen. And then, like, you, like, form, like, two mobs of people with different opinions. People throw snowballs, yell insults. If I tear my yeah, yeah. ACL, it's because <laughs> you. So I've been in those situations where, like, and I know that, like, I don't know, like, everyone has different ways of getting hyped up. And a yeah. lot of people's ways is to say, like, how crappy it is. Like, yeah. so what I learned is, like, you just have to, like, trust your own instinct. And, like, the same dude who will tell you that it's terrible will, like, five minutes later, like, be, be doing, like, a crazy trick in that couloir. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I know that it's not my game to be super self-depressive. Yeah. So I just try and, like, tune it out because I know that, like, okay, well, like, people can react and have big feelings and that's just kind of how everyone has their own process. Yeah. And I'd have to like first take care of like my own process. So I basically just have to like not get too involved into if the event's going to happen or not. And like mm. get it, like why put my energy there when I need to put my energy in the jumping in this couloir? Yeah. It's better to just save it, focus on what you can control. And then if they tell you go, you're ready instead of like doing this drama in your head beforehand. Yeah. And you went first up. Yeah, I did. Like first, first run what first run to second run like what was the feeling like after you knock like you check off like you got through front one safe like you made it through okay no injury no issue you kind of get a feeling of like what the landing's actually like what was the feeling like rolling into run two well that's the funny thing is like run one i like jump into it and for my standards it felt great like yeah. the snow felt good yeah uh, i'm not a super like spoiled uh yeah. skier, <laughs> so i was just like damn that that felt great and then like you know on this adrenaline and then the adrenaline wears out and you're like oh, okay well i didn't land yeah and you look up and you start seeing people stomping and you're just like not even out of the like wanting to win this competition it's yeah. just like i know that i can land this i know that i can do that and then you go back up to the top and yeah. it, like, it goes like reverse order. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of like number one gets like kind of screwed in the whole process because you drop first and really it's totally unideal because you don't know the snow conditions inside the couloir. So no feedback. You have no feedback whatsoever. And then also all the hits inside the couloir are completely untouched, Yeah, which is like as a skier and people listening, oh, that's fantastic. You get the untouched. But if you're competing, like having a track will at least show you where to go and yeah. give you something to take off from. So you're more likely to like land like the tricks that you do within yeah. the QR with a little bit of references. 
Yeah. Uh, so then when you like have no references and, and you're the one whose knees are basically testing the snow for the day and you have nothing to know kind of like how good or how bad it is. Yeah. And then you have to go and you have to wait for them to be the exact opposite where everyone goes before <laughs> you. And then, uh, you know, I feel really bad for the people who drop like 20th because they don't have any, like, I'd rather go first than like 25th, but yeah. like, it's definitely not an ideal spot. So then you go back up, long story short. So you do it once and you have no reference and, but you have all fresh snow and then you come back up and you basically have seen 45 people <laughs> land in the same landing as you and you can't even recognize it. You come back up the second time and you're like, that one piece of landing real estate that I was talking about that I enjoyed yeah. is no longer there. But then you do have that confidence to like, okay, well, I did just jump into it. I didn't die. I even crashed and it's going to be fine. And so I just kind of like, I think it helped the second time I was just calmer. I was just, mm. the first time I had so much adrenaline, you're the first person opening up for the day and there's so much unknown. Whereas the second time I was like, okay, like, what do I know? And yeah. it was like, okay, I looked at the video. I'm like, okay, well, if I go that big again with how bombed out this landing is, I'm for sure going to not land it. Yeah. Exactly. So then I was like, okay, well, like back to like the street skiing days. So like, okay, like you have to like, some degrees like work smarter and not harder so mm -hmm. you have to like line everything up and also like speed check several times and like you know because when you're street skiing you have to like piece everything together mm -hmm. so i just like the second time i was like okay like this time i'm gonna go slower and then also i like could find like one zone where i'm like okay i think that's like the right looking like angle where it's like the steepest is gonna be easiest to land so i kind of just like the second time had more time to like think about because now that there was like not endless opportunities or like yeah. not endless landing, like I had time to like really think about like, okay, like how do I do this? Yeah. And then I just like kind of just went blank. And then I just remember I landed and I like <laughs> landed like this and I'm riding out and I just, it, I couldn't believe it. Like, cause it, I, of course I like put myself in the situation to do that. Right. Right. But there is also <laughs> something in the back of your head where like, if I didn't land it, with a whole fresh landing, how am I going to land it into a mogul field? Right. And then I just remember just like, oh, crap. And then you're just coming into the next jump. Yeah. And then you're coming in the next jump. And I also think, too, like that competition is really good for somebody with the background that I have in yeah. slope style. Because once you survive Corbett's the drop, the rest is like basically a tracked out yeah. backcountry jump and then into a park jump. Yeah. And then that's like home turf kind of. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things where it's like, once I landed that, I was like, okay, well, the hardest part is over. And now I have everything, like, yeah, geared towards my, like, strong suits. Yeah. So it was just a moment I just couldn't believe. And then, <laughs> like, probably the best, one of the best feelings of my life was just landing the full run. Yeah. Getting to the bottom. Jackson Hole is just erupting. Like, there's so, there's many, so people. many people lined up there. Exactly. And... Like, I just get mobbed by, like, three people I don't even know. They're just fellow skiers. Yeah, yeah. And that's what's so cool is, like, that energy of, like, everyone knows what it's like to do yeah. it. And everyone's so happy for you. And I just hugged them so hard. Like, it was, like, my mom. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and like, I just remember, like, I was just like, oh, my God, I have so much dopamine, so much adrenaline. And, like, that was an achievement. Like, yeah. I don't care what you get placed. Just, like, you did Corbett's to like hitting that core to a park jump yeah. and like that is like something to just be proud of and i just remember sure. just being like just like i don't really care what happens i'm just really proud that i like showed what i was capable of For and sure. i got that feeling of landing like it's like one of the dream runs pretty much and yeah. that that event is so cool because you can compete and then still also like have a dream run. Like it's so weird. A lot of times yeah. like, when you do a slope run, it's not really your dream run. There's no, if you don't do good, there's no like. Right. It's all about scoring. And it's all about and scoring. Whereas like Kings Queens like invites you to like go ski one of the most historic runs under the best conditions. And that like, that's something that even if you don't get on the podium, you can be like super proud of that you like, yeah. performed on that run. Yeah. Every single person I think that finished and like completed a whole run they had the same face when they get to the bottom. They're just like completely euphoric about getting through it because you can just see the nerves just like leave their body and just pure feeling of like, I just, I, I fucking did it. It's done. It doesn't matter if like you've done this stuff your whole life. It's just, it's hard no matter what it is. And it's scary no matter what it is. Exactly. Um, speaking of nerves, 
most nerve-wracking thing you did last year? Most nerve-wracking run? Was it Corbett's? Was it X Games? I mean, you tell me. Like, in terms of how you felt. I would say, like, most nervous I was for competitions without doubt is X Games Knuckle Huck. Because yeah. I think that it's almost nice at Kings and Queens that the drop is so hard and it yeah. is so scary that you kind of, like, can forget that you're competing. Mm-hmm. And, like, I hadn't done, like, a on-snow organized competition in, like, five years yeah. before doing X Games Knuckle Huck. Mm-hmm. And because you do get so much time to practice and because it is a knuckle yeah uh you just like and i mean my childhood heroes dropping right in front of me yeah. and all right behind <laughs> me all this stuff is happening and it's uh that was probably like competition wise like the most n- nervous one yeah uh but i would say there was also this competition in uh, i think rick Scranson called yeah. uh scandinavian big mountain championships and it was like uh the last day this competition is crazy do you know anything about no Okay, so it's a big mountain competition mm-hmm. in northern Sweden. Okay. In like early May. Okay. <laughs> so the weather conditions are insane. Yeah. Uh, and then not only that, but the, you know, northern Sweden snow conditions are never like super perfect. And then the format is it's like a three day competition. So the first day you get a score, and then they like cut the bottom like eighty percent. Mm-hmm. Then they keep the top 20. And then you compete the second day on a different face. And then you keep the score from the first day. Then you keep the score from the second day. And then they have a third day with a third face. Mm-hmm. And then they calculate all your points from the days. Mm-hmm. So to win this event, you have to ski a perfect line three days, three in, days a row. in a row. <laughs> and then the first day, you even have to like have that stress of like, basically, if you don't make the cut. Yeah. So it's it's this huge, like, it's an insane mind game because it's not just about today it's about today and then how you qualify into tomorrow and then having enough points on finals day to like get a crack at at winning and it's any failure is almost like you're out you're out so you have to be perfect for like three days to have a chance of winning and i did that for the first time this year and i was thinking to myself like okay like the first face it was like super bad conditions. It was hard to see. I'd never skied it before. And I think I qualified like seventh that like the seventh. And then the second day was a super playful face. And I was just like, okay, like this is where I'm going to make up my yeah. points. Yeah. And uh, then I got like seventh. That, I don't know. My run didn't really go like 100% as planned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was like a classic. I don't know. Not like a classic like overconfidence, but yeah. definitely like it's my first year doing the competition and there were some things I wasn't prepared for. And I coming into the last day and that's on the steepest one. It's called, it's called the steep. That's the name of the run. And it's just this convex roller that just like drops off. So it's so hard to find any like places to like do anything, not, not to do anything to navigate. That's like, cause it's a convex roller. So you're just like, it's just gradually dropping. So yeah. it's hard to like pick up on your navigation points. Yeah. And there's this like double stager and I end up doing like hand drag three into this, uh, like into a double stager. So like on the first cliff I do hand drag three and then I'm like landing on top of another cliff. Yeah. And that was like also just like a blackout moment. Yeah. Cause I, <laughs> I was like, I did like, there's like the, like a little hit up top, I did backflip. And then I'm, like, coming in, and then I knew I had, like, a hard time navigating because of, like, the way the convex roller was. So I was like, oh, I've lost so many points because I just skied off my line. (laughs) And now I'm back in the line. And then I was just, like, in the back of my head, I was like, uh, we have uh, something, or, like, uh, the homies in the bunch, it's called True Good, which is translated to Trust God. And it's, like, whenever you show up to his own, you always have, like, a True Good, which is, like, what would happen if everything just was perfect? Like, yeah. what would happen if <laughs> everything was perfect? And maybe, like, one out of 20 times, you yeah. you actually do your true good. A lot of times you do, like, one step under. So yeah. I was just, like, that was, like, when I looked at the face, I was, like, in back of my head, if everything feels right, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And then I get there, and I just, you know, skied off my line, but saved it, but knew I was going to get docked tons of points for yeah. just not <laughs> skiing good, <laughs> like, on the, just not even on, like, on anything that was going to get scored. So... Then I just was up there, and I just was just like, fuck it, I, I have to do this. Yeah. And, but not in, like, a bad way, in a positive way. I just, like, yeah. something was just, like, you're doing it. 
And then I just basically do the hand drag three blackout. I'm land like four point again. <laughs> and then I ski off the second one. And that was like for sure on, on the Corbett's level. Of, like, yeah, it's just, it was like full commitment. Cause at the, you know, once you're like going upside down pretty much on the double stage, you're like, you have to get back to your feet or else yeah. you're, you're going to get clobbered on the second one. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. The, the multi-day comp thing seems like not just exhausting, like physically, but mentally, like figuring out how to make it through a multi-day event is always, it's a challenge. And I can't give you guys enough credit for like going through that, like going through the, the physical aspect obviously is insane. And like what you're able to do on skis is insane, but mentally just preparing yourself to be in the right headspace to go. And even to get to that point of blackout where your body just takes over and you're just like, it's almost muscle memory at that point. It's like, you know, you can do this thing and to be able to just like shut off for a second and do that is, is crazy. And it's a feeling that a lot of people will never, never be able to have. Right. Where it's just like, Jesus take the wheel type that you're like, you're just like, here's, here's what it is. But I, I think it's like important to like, it's not just like feel yourself yeah. and then go do something like above your level. It's just right. about like knowing where your level is and then having that relationship with pushing it. Yeah. And then like, you know, knowing the calculated risks of like, what's the best I can do? What are the consequences? And then like letting your body take over. Yeah. If that makes sense. So it's not like, lose all control black right, out right. of everything it's just like knowing that commitment needs to be 100 percent, and in order yeah. to commit you have to just like stop thinking about anything other than landing yeah because like if you if i'm in the air and i'm thinking about all the things that can go wrong i'm screwed so i just have to like black out and know that that's where my skiing level is yeah for sure um let me let, let me ask you a little bit about the bunch. What's going on with you guys this year? There's a new film. There's a new project. What was it like putting it all together? Favorite moments of the year? Like, kind of talk me through a little bit. Because you guys work together all the time. You're with each other all the time. And I always wonder how this stuff just kind of comes together. Like, where the ideas come from. Where the cinematography ideas come from. And where where you guys are all at in terms of what you want to see out of yourselves in, in a movie like this? So this movie is called The Census. Yeah. And I would say that, like, with all the bunch movies, like, there's kind of the same cast of characters. But then depending on how everyone's feeling that year, then, like, a certain cast of characters maybe, like, takes the reins. Yeah. So uh, for Many Fantasies Later, that was, like, me and Magnus were, like, we're doing a project. We're really motivated. Yeah. And then, like, we're going to make it happen. And then everyone's welcome to join at whatever... Uh, level they want to join at pretty mm -hmm. much uh and this year uh, after doing that and co-producing co-directing i was like okay like i've been filming only like full-length movies or street parts for the last like six years i need to take a year and say yes to competitions like kings and queens yeah, corvettes yeah. do something else so i kind of like took a little step back and i didn't really know what was going to go on and then magnus and uh, jens uh then took the reins and they came up with this uh, wonderful concept for census mm -hmm. and then i like joined in on uh, two trips one to uh, switzerland and one to rick's mm -hmm. and uh, i think it's just cool that it's and i think that's why like a lot of the projects are so different and unique is because yeah. it's like the same group of people doing it but inspiration is not just taken from like one person again and again and again it's like kind of mm -hmm. like the group trades off of like it's whatever feels right yeah exactly mm -hmm. and so this the concept with this one was like a to create something that really like we had like a fpv segment in our many fantasies later mm -hmm. so um there's this amazing fpv driver uh luca bees mm -hmm. and uh the best by the way like yeah. the way that that shit comes out is fucking insane exactly so we got the chance to work with him uh, for many fences later and we liked how that segment was and this movie's like okay like how could you make a movie with the mood board being that segment. So it's not going to look exactly like that segment, but that was like the inspiration of like what these drones can do in the mountains. And then uh, I just saw it for the first time live at the premiere. Like yep. I didn't see it beforehand. Yeah. And the Jens uh, directed it. And uh, it's definitely really, really, really special. And yeah. definitely something that I can't describe. Yeah. And uh, that I think is going to possibly surprise people. What was the feeling like getting the home crowd reaction a little bit? The home crowd reaction is, is the best. <laughs> uh, I feel 
very, I don't want to say spoiled, but it feels super cool to have people like that uh, or to have like, I don't know, a hometown that loves skiing and a hometown that also is like proud of you. Yeah. And that's the feeling that I got was, I, I guess I ski like a lot of places and occasionally sometimes it's like, I don't want to say like hard, but it's been a little while since I grew up in Boston these yeah, days. Yeah. And uh, when I came back, I was like, you know what? I'm super happy that that's the place I represent. Like no matter what yeah. I do in skiing, I'm always going to represent uh, Boston, Massachusetts, New England, yeah. Sunday River, Maine. Yeah. And that like those people are, are so kind and so excited and just like, it was really cool to be back and to feel that love coming from them and to be like really uh, supported by where you come from. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's still a lot of people that don't even know that you're from Boston area. Like I think you get associated with like the Swedish group so much that when you tell people you're from Boston, you're like, they just don't, they didn't know. It's like almost a little mind blowing that like, okay, someone like this came from this exact area, like grew up skiing Sunday river, grew up in this crew and then has kind of gone full-on international with the ski career. I, I agree with that. I do think that I get put in that box quite a bit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's something that uh, I think is, is cool and that I hope that all the kids from Boston or Sunday River know. And I do think they know. Like, I, I, I think really think, like, I think all the kids point, that yeah. at Sunday River, like, they, they know. And that I think it's not the Boston crowd that doesn't know that I'm from Boston. I think it's, like, the everybody else. Everybody else. Yeah. And uh, that's what's cool. And also, like, I don't know. I think it is, like, it's surreal. Like, it's really surreal because I was, like, the kid who was looking for inspirations and role models within the East Coast ski scene. And I had tons of them. Like, yeah. I had Dale Talkington was, like, mm -hmm. an East Coast skier of my generation. I had the whole step crew. Like, when I was a kid, like, I believed, like, I could, no matter what, achieve anything because yeah. I could just look around and I could see people being in the places that I want to be from the areas that I was from. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's cool that now somebody could look at me and be like, oh, well, I grew up in Massachusetts. I grew up skiing mm -hmm. this. And I could maybe get third place at Kings and Queens Corvettes. Or I could maybe, you know, make great street parts. Or I could do this or I could do that. Because the there's people who come from these humble mountains in New England uh, that don't get a lot of snow don't have the best weather conditions right who, who do do it and who do make it to high levels in the sport yeah yeah it's it's great there's a ton of people especially in that era like right around your time a little before even like there was tons of people coming out of this area and you were just like how is this po like world renowned like simon dumont is a good example right it's like everybody in the world in the ski world snow sports world knows who that guy is right and just came from skiing Thunder river it's just as simple as that it's a uh, there's something, I think because so many people are used to seeing like the out west parts, the everybody goes to Colorado, everybody goes to Utah, everybody goes to Tahoe. This is where skiing is. I think sometimes the East Coast gets a little forgotten about, but East Coast represents hard in, in skiing. Like even out, out west, you go out west, every other person is from here. <laughs> Without a doubt. Like, it's, it's crazy. It's, a, it's an invasion of East Coasters. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that it's... Um, Oh, yeah, I think it's inspirational. And as a kid, I was always super proud. I was like, or I was jealous at first, and then I became proud. So yeah. I was like always like, my first impression was like, what? You're telling me I could ski freeway every day at Breckenridge? <laughs> well, Mom, why don't we live in Frisco? And then uh, then you realize, obviously, as you get older, you're like, oh, well, there's so much other things in life yeah. than where the best skiing is. But as a kid, you were first jealous. But then... Once I got those opportunities to ski out west, yeah. then I became very proud of being from a place like uh, a place like New England, Massachusetts. And then also I realized that to me, like the and I really do feel this way, like the ground for everything that I've created in skiing came from skiing like on the weekends mm -hmm. with just local kids in Sunday River, Maine. Like yeah. it developed like a passion for the sport that then like carried with me like everywhere I go. But if I never had that moment with, like, I don't know, it was just a special moment at Sunday River. There's just a bunch of young kids whose, you know, parents had weekend houses from either yeah. Portland, Maine or Boston or wherever who were all the same age, who were all into park skiing. Yeah. And, like, those are still probably my favorite time skiing. It's, like, those memories are favorite memory skiing. It's, like, just being a kid in, like, the sixth grade and it's, like, day one of a 14-day winter holiday and yeah. you see your kid, your, you see your your crew and you guys go lap the park then you eat yeah. chicken tenders and do whatever and i feel like that 
that foundation of what was created, not from like how well I could ski or anything technically skiing, but that foundation of like the passion of going skiing, the passion for park skiing, the park community, the ski community just like was put in me at Sunday River, Maine. And then like, then when I got better opportunities, I was then able to like put that, what was like given to me there and then like express it out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's also something about, the New England scene that gives people a very different relationship with skiing, right? It's not, it's rain, snow, shine. Otherwise you're still going skiing. Like it doesn't, the condition, it's a less conditional love for the sport. I think than a lot of people have when they're out West. Cause it's like, I got tons of friends that live out there. And if it's not a snow day, they're just like, fuck it. Like, I don't need to go skiing today. It's not even that good. We only got three inches last night. We only got five inches last night versus like you get three inches here at like Mount Snow or Sunday River or wherever. It's like, it's Armageddon. Like everybody comes out for anything at all. It could be like 50, 50 rain, snow, and everybody is still out there like hoping for the best. It's just a different, it's a different attachment to the sport. No, I, I do agree with you. There was no, you didn't, I didn't check the weather forecast when I was just a kid. Go. It was the weekend. I go skiing. Yeah. It didn't matter <laughs> if I was getting blown off the mountain or if it was the best slushy day of all time. It was my free time and I was going to go skiing. And yeah. then later on in life, then you're like worrying about conditions. And yeah, you think about, about all these other things that <laughs> are not relevant anymore. Exactly. But I, I do think that that probably is like the... Like at the core of why yeah. like the relationship and why East Coast skiers are generally very successful is because it's like you're saying it's rain, snow, sleet, sunshine. It's just this is what we do. Yeah, yeah, I like that, and I like that's like a thing that I think everybody from New England is very proud of. Right? It just it doesn't matter. Like you're used to skiing ice, you're used to skiing shit. Doesn't matter. Like it's it's all it's all part of it. Definitely. If, except the way it is. If I was going to be like really New England patriotic, I would also maybe like chime in of like the culture here as well. Like yeah. the, there's like, I don't want to say there's like a New England work ethic, but yeah. like I do feel like. There is for sure. There is for sure. And also there's like a, a hardworking mentality. Or I don't want to say other places are like not hardworking. Right. Uh, it's different though. But it's, it's different in the way. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to say crazy things right now. So I'm not going to say crazy <laughs> things right now. I'm being recorded. But I do feel like there. I have a, a big pride in the New England culture and yeah. the work ethic and the values and uh, the things that come from, like, growing up in New England. But yeah. then when you do translate those things into a sport, like, pay off. Yeah, it's, a very, it's just a different vibe. It's not, you know, one place is better than the other. It's just a totally different vibe, and this is the vibe that we have here. Exactly. So it's and a good thing. And, uh, yeah, and it's also, like, I think it has to just do with that, like, if you actually look at it, there's not that many things that New England actually has that are amazing. Like, right. when, it comes, <laughs> when it comes to geography, it's just, like, we don't, we have mountains, we don't have great mountains, we, we have, have the water. a 4,000-footer, it's a big deal. Like, it's a, the biggest deal. Exactly. And then we have, like, I mean, we're on the water in Boston, yeah. but you don't go swimming very often. Yeah. It's It's, like, we... I think, you know, really the people do make New England what it is. And yeah. that's that's awesome. Yeah, I agree. Um, speaking of New England, speaking of home crowd advantage, um, you're going to be speaking at Snowbound in a few weeks here. What What is that going to be like for you? Like being up on a stage, no skis, no anything, just like talking in front of a bunch of people, like people just sitting there ready to, to listen to what it is that you have to tell. I'm excited for the Snowbound Expo. I think it's happening First week of November? Yeah, 3rd to the 5th, I think. 3rd to the 5th. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to talk about, but I hope to share things that are, like, uh, inspirational. And mm-hmm. I would love to share, like, aspects of my ski story that people might not know. Like, yeah. It's not going to be, like, a demo on how you do a Nose Butter 3, but, yeah. you know, <laughs> I, w- I would love to just share the story of, like, that, that, like we're saying, coming from New England and scratching and clawing and yeah what lessons did I learn that then helped me uh, later on in my yeah. professional ski career. So I hope it's something that people, no matter what it is, that it's something people can enjoy. And obviously I hope as many people as possible come. Have you done something like that before? Like inside just sitting in front of a group of people? Do you like doing that kind of thing? So I actually, I do like it. And the reason why I like it, or one of the reasons why I like it, is my dad is a public speaker. Yeah. And uh, when I was a kid, there would be a lot of driving to go skiing to get to the mountains from uh, Massachusetts to uh, Maine. And 
my dad would have like mini speaking camps. Like, okay, yeah, here's yeah, a topic. Yeah. You have three minutes. You have to talk <laughs> about X, X, and X. That's and awesome. uh, so he kind of instilled, and I do like talking. So he instilled that kind of like, well, I don't want to say love, but that ability to, to speak and why being able to like share a story captively can inspire people and the, the good that it can do. Yeah. And I have done it. I've done it for, um, I give a speech to, there's a, another something called the Dyslexic Symposium mm-hmm. that Montana State University puts mm-hmm. on. I'm dyslexic and I've given a speech there the last two years. And then I went to CVA last fall and I gave a speech in, in front of their school. And I'm doing a speech uh, for a school in Connecticut the week before the Snowbound Expo. Nice. So it's th- something that, I've done before that I want to do more of and that I enjoy to do. Just make your career earnings on speaking engagements if you want. <laughs> speaking engagements, uh, they're awesome in the sense of if you enjoy to do it, it's a good day rate. For yeah. yeah, for sure, to just show up. Yeah, I wonder if we're going to get uh, a lot of Sean White action while we're there. Like, see if he's actually very... Is uh, he coming? Oh, yeah. Nice. We'll see if he actually is like... I'm I'm curious to see what kind of vibe he brings to something like this, because like he's one of the biggest names in snow sports that you could bring to something like this, right? And I'm sure they paid him a buttload of money to come out and talk, but it's just like I'm curious to see how he treats it. If it's just like I show up, I'm at one o'clock, I speak for thirty minutes, and I get the fuck out of there, you know? I, or if it's like he hangs around and it's like he's very like down with the. Commu- I have no idea what he's gonna be like. I've never met him. I have no idea what. What kind of shit he's gonna do? But I'm I'm curious to see how how that rolls out. They got a good lineup this year. I will say, like, I'm really impressed that, uh, like, it's leveling up. Like, yeah, that they're bringing in me. You're coming there as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I pale in comparison to Sean White. <laughs> um, but <laughs> they're like the fact that they're bringing in the Sean Whites, crew. the yeah. Ted Ligeties. Yeah. Uh, and like you know, I I do hope that it goes really well, and I hope that they continue to expand because I think it's it's. Any event concept. in Boston and any event in the East Coast that brings together ski community is really cool, and I'm happy to see they're investing to like grow. Yeah, no, I'm really glad it's going on, and I think they do a good job, especially with the speaker side of things. I think they do a good job at like getting people that people actually give a shit about. Like last year, it was Bodhi, um, Vasu, a, a bunch of different people came out and just spoke and got up on the stage and kind of like poured their hearts out for like 30 minutes to an hour and engaged with the crowd, and it was it was really cool to see. It's cool to see it in Boston. There's something that like because the East Coast doesn't get all the attention in the world always from these types of people, to see everybody kind of gathering in one place, I think I think it's a good thing for the future generations too. 100%. And I think great for just like the community to be able to like meet their heroes at some yeah. point in time. And I think that when you live in the places where ski heroes come in and out, that yeah. you get that experience. But I think when you live in a place like New England, you don't always get that experience to yeah. meet your heroes. There's that one guy that lives in this one one place and not they're not all in the same place all the time it just doesn't happen that much so it's it, it works out well i think exactly and plus like the blessing the curse is like when you do succeed in skiing from new england you usually move out of new england yeah or spend your time skiing outside of new england uh that's one of the reasons i do the hike and hang yeah uh, at killington because which is fucking so cool by the way like so cool thank you yeah i, I love that like what so yeah what is that like for you uh that's like it's I think that's like the funnest day of the season. Really? Um, yeah, without doubt. And I think it's it was cool because it, it just happened like very like naturally. Like the yeah. first year, I, I just put on my Instagram story like, "Hey, I'm gonna be here and I'm gonna bring prices." And then it went good. And then the next year, it got even bigger. And then this year is gonna be the third year of it. So yeah. it's cool that it just happens so naturally. But I just like it because everyone comes like out of that with like a smile on their face. And yeah, it's cool. And I just can see that kids are really appreciative of it and that gives yeah. me so much energy like yeah. when like i come back from the day and i just have seen like tons of kids who are super engaged in skiing park skiing and like can tell that this day is gonna like live with them to to help inspire them like throughout that whole winter mm-hmm. yeah no for sure i think yeah there seems to be something about you that like gets very very energized i think when like the little kids are excited to come see you the little kids are excited to come like meet somebody that they look up to ski with you it seems like it it does as much for you as it does for the kids 100 percent. yeah i i love that i think there's i think there's a lot 
there's a lot of sports when kids would never have that opportunity to meet somebody that they've watched growing up or as they're watching currently. And I think for you to even provide that opportunity, and, and I don't even know if it's that you're looking at it like you're providing the opportunity. I think you just go and do it because you enjoy it, right? Like, But I, I think of it as like more, yeah, just like doing that thing that you wanted. That's like when you were a kid. Yeah. And like that now I do get to be in that position where I am the role model. And then yeah. it's like, well, do, do I want to like, embrace the local community do i want to put time and energy to like give back or do i want to just like okay well now i have the ability to go ski in uh, colorado utah or the alps all year so i'm just gonna do that and i and i think that it's uh cool to like give back and i i don't don't even know what the question was but yeah yeah it is something that i just generally like to do no i i agree and i think that's for a long time it's like line traveling circus was that for a lot of people like the telefriend tour was that for a lot of people, especially in New England, right? Like getting these people that you watch online all the time to come to your local hill, bring pizza, and just go in session for a few hours was like the coolest thing ever. When, when I was growing up, like it was the, it was what everybody looked forward to. Exactly. To answer a question now that I have it back in my head, <laughs> but I don't, I look at it as like giving time is like the most important. So yeah. when I, I show up there, to me, it's about creating like uh, experience for everyone and like giving time to like teach people if they have a trick they want to learn to like learn that trick or to like give that person the time of day yeah. or to ask the questions that they have to ask or like I look at it as like I am very happy that we like give away prizes and we give away money yeah. but it's more like I look at it as like going there and giving my time to people if that makes sense yeah to, like invest my time back into like the young generation if that makes yeah sense. Yeah. How how long are you planning on staying after the show? Like, what's the, like, are you planning on staying for opening weekend at Killington? Are you planning on, like, kicking around for a little while, like, in, in Boston? So I'm going to be in Boston for, like, the next month or so until the Snowbound show. But then yep. most likely I'll uh, go and try and get some, like, uh, skiing in somewhere yep. between... Um, I mean, the opening day of Killington could potentially even be before, it could be before the show. Snowbound, yeah. I hope it's before the show. It's cold as shit this week. Like it's like thirty-eight degrees at night or something like that. Like it's it's almost time to start like lighting up snow guns. I hope so. So I hope that I'm at the opening day of, yeah. of Killington as well. But probably between the Snowbound Expo and the hike and hang, I'll go try and like uh, travel a little bit, travel a little bit, and get to some. Sick. Okay. Cool. Um, last thing I'm gonna ask you pretty much before we wrap up here new clothing out with peak perform- performance what's the what's the story what's the graphic background how did we come up with this why did we come up with this what's the what's the story give me a little bit of insight on that so i've now been riding for peak i'm coming into my third season which mm-hmm. is uh, super cool and i really like like the partnership with them cuz they really believed in me and they also like believed in my transition from like a street skier into like more than just a street skier and uh, they have, like, really talented designers. Like, when you go to their headquarters in Stockholm, like, you're like, yeah, this is, like, a people's jobs are just what type of fabric is great. And, like, yeah. you know, they're, they're dialed. They're dialed. So one of the people, like, one of their head designers, his name's uh, Andy. He has a super Swedish last name. I can't. Everyone just calls him Andy. And uh, he's, like, a big fan of the bunch and was a big fan of my skiing. And he just, like, approached me one day, just like, hey, like, I had this idea, and I do, like, art. So I did a lot more art previously where I just I did made paintings. Mm -hmm. And he had, like, somehow found paintings, like, deep down on my Instagram. Oh, shit. I really love these paintings. Like, what do you think about doing a collab? So then... I was, like, just super honored, and I was like, yeah, of course, like, that'd be awesome. So then, like, I made these shapes kind of based off some, like, previous paintings that I made. And then, I mean, there's not, like, too much, like, super, like, detail and like, what, what do these shapes mean? It's more right. just, like... it's just what came out of your head. What came out of my head and kind of what, uh, like, what I think, like, looks, like, cool and, and interesting. And then we have, like, the hoodie version, which has, like, I think I'm, like, most proud of the... It has, like, a texture to it. Yeah. And so the hoodie version is, like, uh, we use tufting, which is, like, the same thing you would use for, like, a, a rug. Yeah. So, like, the shapes, like, pop out. Yeah. And that was, like, what was super cool. It was, like, working with Andy. And, like, I came up with the designs. And then, like, he was, like, able to, like, source, like, this amazing, like, style to print it to make it, like, something that I couldn't make on my own. Because I've made some, like, small merch drops here and yeah. there. But then it's, like, 
you know, you're not creating a quantity to the point that you can customize anything. And it's basically yeah. like, here's a screen print or here's an embroidery, yeah. but like you can't do anything more. Whereas like when I worked with Peak, it was like to come up with the idea, they gave me creative freedom on how it was going to look. And then they just like supported me in like making it like better and like tapping into the resources that they have because they're yeah. uh, like a the dialed brand, company. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Let's sick. Um, Tell people where they can find you, where they can find the product if you want, where where people can get all the information that they need, and obviously tour info for Timmy Film. So uh, you can find me at Alex Hackle, Instagram, TikTok, Alex Hackle Network on YouTube. I'm going to be doing like a lot more YouTube content this year. Oh, yeah. So definitely follow me and subscribe on YouTube. And then you can find this collab t-shirt on peakperformance.com. Go to the search button and just type in Alex Hackle because it's called something like, it's called the Alex Hackle Pro Model or Collab or something. So yeah. you type my name in peakperformance.com, you're going to find it. Sick. Then you can find 1,000 skis on 1,000skis.com. And then the tour info, uh, you should definitely go to the bunch.sc uh, or the bunch on Instagram. And there's like, I'm actually super impressed. There's like 20 or something toy stops. So I can't name it off like No, yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, also, it's, if you're in Scandinavia, it's on the Super Tour, which is this awesome like independent film tour that Nikolai Schimer yeah. is creating. And then in America, we had the Boston stop. It's in Salt Lake. And uh, there might be a couple in Canada. So just go to the bunch.se and yeah. find all the tour stop dates. Hell yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, pleasure to come on.